I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you've been uh, doing, what you've, what situations you're in. All I know is this. There is an anointing presence of God in this house that is so thick that it can change, it can alter, it can fix, it can unite, it can set free, it can do all kinds of things if you'll just reach out and grab a hold of what he's trying to do in this house. Praise God. I'm reading today from 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, it's a little book right at the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 2. And in this book, John the Apostle is writing to the people to beware of that which is against Christ. The King James word uses the words antichrist. It's not talking about the beast that's coming, it's talking about anything that goes against Jesus Christ, anything that stands up against Jesus Christ. And in verse 26, he says, I'm writing this concerning them that seduce you or deceive you. And then he says this. He starts in verse number 27 with the word, but the anointing. There will be some that come to deceive you. There will be some that come as a false witness, as an antichrist, if you will. There will be some that will try to seduce you, but the anointing. But the anointing. I want Jesus to give us a fresh anointing today. I want Jesus to wash us and cleanse us, make us pure and holy in his sight that only he can do, that we can't do it on our own. We can't, there's not a formula to do so. It's just let me get in the flow of your spirit, God, and let your anointing hit me. But the anointing which you have received of him, that's talking about Christ, abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath been uh, hath taught you, you shall abide in him. That word translated him there is also translated it. You can abide in the anointing. You see, around church structures and church services, we like to talk about the anointing. Oh, you were anointed today. That song was anointed. And we have somehow gotten to the place where we have accepted the concept of the anointing of the Lord, that it would be a temporary anointing, that it would be something that would hit somebody, a singer, a preacher, a saint, somebody, and the anointing would come all over them. And then when the situation or the circumstance is done, the anointing removes. But the Bible tells us that the anointing that you received of him can live in you, and not only that, but you can abide in that anointing. I want to abide. I want to feel the anointing that I feel in this house today. I want to feel it tomorrow. The anointing that I feel when I gather around with the people of God is the anointing that I want to feel on Tuesday. I don't want to wait for ladies' prayer or chain breakers or Thursday night service or, or come as you. I want to feel his anointing every day, every hour, because there's a promise in the word that says the anointing, I can abide in it.
Let it fall, God. Soak us. Saturate us. Consume us with your anointing. There's something unique about his anointing. There were two qualifications for his anointing. Number one, he will never anoint a stranger. He won't anoint a stranger. You've got to come to him. Now, if you're a stranger, he's trying to draw you. He's trying to speak to you. He's trying to get you into a greater relationship. You may not know Jesus to fulfillment, but you're on your way. You're on a journey. You're trying to find him. As soon as you step towards Jesus, even though here you think you're taking the first step, he's been stepping for 2,000 years, by the way, to get your attention. But the moment you take one step, you're no longer a stranger. He says, you're fair game. So what, I'm, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is, if you sense the anointing of God in your life, it's because you are no longer a stranger to him. And more importantly, he is no longer a stranger to you. So count it a blessing when you start feeling the anointing of God come over you because what he is trying to tell you is that I know who you are. I recognize your ability. I recognize your trust. I recognize your uh, actions. I recognize your thought processes. And I like you. And not only do I like you, but I love you enough to do this. The second thing is, is that it cannot truly be imitated. I know the adversary is out there trying to imitate everything that God does, trying to imitate the presence of God, but this can't be imitated. There was an old-time preacher that said this. He said, you can come to this from anything, but you can't go to anything from this. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about him. You can come to Jesus from anywhere, but you can look high and low. You can look deep and wide, but you'll never find anything that matches up to Jesus Christ. You can come from anywhere to this, but you can't go from this to anywhere. I'm telling somebody today that God is wanting to anoint you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet He's going to just pour it on you. See, we don't understand what the anointing is because we like to not get slapped when we lay hands on somebody. All of you ladies that have done your hair up all nice and all of you men that at least washed your scalp And so we take a little bottle of oil and we put it on a finger and we put a little bit of oil on you. But you know in Scripture that that's not how they anointed? They anointed. If I wanted to anoint you like I did, like they did in the Bible, I'd have to go to Costco and get a bulk of olive oil and I would take probably... How many of our people, 100 people here today? I'd have to have 100-gallon jugs and just start pouring it over you. 
and it would hit the head and it would go down and it'd get stuck in your beard and it'd go down their shoulders and, and, and all the way to the soles of your feet and you would be drenched in the anointing oil of the Old Testament that would hit you and it would go all over you. Cheryl talked about David. That's what Samuel did. He didn't just touch a little bit of his head and then say that he poured a bucket of oil, if you will, from the top of his head. He just let it just. See, Jesus isn't interested in just giving you a little. Jesus doesn't want to just give you goosebumps. Somebody hear me today. Jesus isn't here just to anoint you with a good feeling. He is looking to saturate you with his spirit. He's looking to hit you from the top of your head and go all the way to the sole of your feet with the wonderful glory of the presence and favor of Almighty God. As it hits you, it goes down over your shoulders, all the way through your arms and down to your feet, and you know that you have been drenched by the anointing of the Lord. You see... God doesn't take the anointing lightly. We do. We take it for granted that we can come into the house of the Lord. We sometimes even take it for granted that we can get in trouble and cry out to Jesus. And once Jesus meets the need, then we turn around and still try to figure things out on our own. It, it just doesn't work that way. Let me tell you a little bit about the anointing oil that made things holy in the scriptures of the Old Testament. It was made up of four ingredients mixed with a fifth. The four ingredients, and I'm going to do this very quickly because this isn't the crux of my message, but uh, notice this, that the anointing was made of myrrh, first of all. Now, myrrh... The only way that you would get the aroma of myrrh is if myrrh was crushed. Myrrh spoke of brokenness and even death. Let me just tell you how many of you have ever been crushed. Some of you are honest enough to raise your hand. I can remember the first day that I was crushed. I was a great big 10 years old. And my dad pulls me aside and says, Tim, great-grandma's passed away. Oh, they busted me up. I was the oldest on that side of the family and the best. Thank you, Cheryl. And, and if my siblings watch this, you know it's true. Um, But I, my great-grandmother, <laughs> she was incredible. She was funny. But, and, and they, all the family kind of made fun of her from front. But from the time that I can recall, from two or three, whenever I was a kid, until she passed away, I was, his, uh, was her boyfriend, and she was my girlfriend. And so every time we'd get together, I'd run up and wait for Grandpa to pull in because great-grandma was coming with Grandpa. And, and, and so I remember sitting, I can't even remember where the church was, but I know we were sitting kind of over right in this area, and I was standing there, and I just started uncontrollably sobbing as a 10-year-old boy. 
because great-grandma had passed away. And my dad put his arm around me and said, it's okay to cry. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, then why aren't you? But I took him at his word, and I just bawled. I was crushed. Can I tell you that's happened over and over in my life? But every time he has allowed me to go through a crushing season, I come out on the other side of that season with an anointing of God. I've got to tell you that it was not even a year later after that crushing experience with my great-grandmother, it wasn't even a year later where I was kneeling at an altar and God miraculously baptized me with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in a language I did not know, and I felt the anointing of God flood me, saturate me. You couldn't argue... don't even try to argue that it's not real. It's, it's real. I've experienced it. I know what it's like. I've experienced it over and over and over again. And I have noticed looking back this morning that every crushing experience that I had was followed up by a fresh new anointing. Why? Because part of your anointing is the myrrh that's in your life. Those crushing experiences that come in, God takes them and puts them in the vat of your life and starts mixing it up so that he can pour it out. And you can experience the presence of God. Because the anointing... Let me just give you a definition of the anointing. I believe the anointing of God is the baptism of the Holy Ghost primarily, but it's an endowment of power that he gives us from time to time, and we can dwell in it every day. But the anointing is simply this. It's God's favor in us to please him. If I ever feel anointed while I'm preaching, It's not because it's there to make me feel good or I can pat myself on the back and say maybe I did a decent job. But if there is an anointing on my preaching, it's so that God can show me favor so that that favor can be released to somebody that hears it and thus please him. The second is sweet cinnamon. It's the second ingredient of the oil. It's, it's, uh, it's a flavor. And you're going to start smelling all kinds of cinnamon in the next couple of weeks. But cinnamon was attached to the anointing because cinnamon was the thing that would dampen the stench of sacrifice. Can I tell you that there has not been a person that I know that hasn't sacrificed that ended up smelling really good? I'm not talking naturally. I'm talking spiritually. 
Can I tell you, I will listen to a preacher who I know has gone through some things and has sacrificed some things than I will to a preacher that's never faced any adversity, that's never sacrificed anything in their life. It becomes hollow, it becomes shallow. But I know that I know that I know that the things that I have had to deal with, God always sprinkles the cinnamon in it so that it dampens the stench of the sacrifice. You know what? It's the cinnamon that says sacrifice is worth it. Now, listen. Let me just be open and honest and plain. I hate sacrifice. If I didn't hate sacrifice, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. It would just be something else that I did. But when God begins to ask me to sacrifice some things, to give some things up, can I tell you what one old preacher said? He said this, I have held many things in my hand and lost them all, but everything that God has put into my open palm I still possess. Sacrifice. He, he's, he just shakes the cinnamon gives it a new fragrance. And that which I thought was hard to do. Listen, I, 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 I know I've said it recently, but I'm 52 years old. And I have looked back at some sacrifices that have been made. And at the time, I wasn't sure I enjoyed them. But when we got to the other side, I realized how fragrant it was. I don't mean to talk about myself, but you've got to hear where I'm coming from. I was 38 years old, just 38 and a half years old, when we looked at each other, my wife and I, we had a five-year-old boy that had gone through about three months of kindergarten, and we had a newborn child who is now a man-child. We realized he's getting almost taller than Owen and I both. And you want to know what God told us to do? In two weeks' time, pack up everything you have and move. So we packed up our house. It was the first house we actually owned. We saw we didn't even sell it. We were freaking out. What are we going to do with this house? Well, we, we rented it for a year. Big mistake. It just kept swallowing up our money. We moved in at almost 40 years old with two kids into my mom and dad's basement. Listen, I don't want you to feel a pity. I'm just telling you some sacrifices that God asked my wife and I to make. This church did not ask us to do that. I don't want any of the original members that are still here that was here when we came. I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersion on any of them. This was God's calling on us. We moved into the basement in the middle of December. We went down into my mom and dad's basement. They had one bedroom down there that the boys shared. We had a little kitchenette out by the window. 
we had our living room furniture, and my bookshelves was the wall, and on the other side of the bookshelves was our bed, and then a bathroom. And we thought, well, we'll only be here for a couple of months. 18 months later. I tried to pastor this church for the first year and a half, living over a half an hour away. Sacrifice. Can't say I always liked the drive on Sunday morning. Because I was raised that the preacher should never not be the first person at the church on Sunday. And by the grace of God, nobody else usually beats me here on Sunday. Tim, you just got to let the house go. Just foreclose on it. Just turn it. You're never going to get your money. I'm 40 years old, have no job. We were living off the $1,000 that this church gave us and living at my mom and dad's. Give it up. But God, how am I ever going to buy a house if I have a foreclosure on it? Just do it. All right. Hey, it didn't smell very good. The sacrifice was hard. But look where I'm at now. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Don't let the devil tell you that your sacrifice is not worth it because God's putting cinnamon all over it. Very quickly, the other two ingredients, one is cane or, or calamus. I like this one. You want to know where you get cane from? Miry soil. He brought me out of the miry clay. I came from the muck and the mire. But when he took me out of that clay, he wasn't just taking Tim out of the clay. He was creating in me an anointing calamus that would bring a sweet fragrance and anointing to my life. You see, when don't disturb what your past was. Just remember that he had to go to the miry clay to get part of your anointing. Where you came from is dictating what your anointing is. Don't ever back away from I don't care how bad, messed up, and distorted your past is that's the clay from which your anointing has been born oh it had to be beaten it had to be it had to be thrashed upon to get the aroma of the cane to come out and and, and so don't ever take for granted i know some of us have looked at our past and we have said to ourselves or the enemy has said to us, you've messed up, you were such a dirty, rotten dog, a scoundrel that you have no business trying to do what God wants you. You just need to try to make it to heaven. My friend, that's the furthest thing from the truth. If God pulled you out of the miry clay, it's because he saw an anointed vessel that he was getting ready to wash clean, sanctify, and separate unto himself and make them holy so that he can walk in the anointing of God. 
The last ingredient is cassia. It only grew 800 feet above sea level. You had to get there. You had to climb up to get the cassia. You couldn't just go to the local grocery store. You, you had to search for it. There was some effort that put in. Listen, every effort that you take to grow in God, even when you trip and fall and bust your nose, it's one more step closer to that 18 or 800 foot line. It's one more step closer to that every time you sit and fight yourself because you don't think you can get to church, every time that you don't think you can understand what you're reading, every time that you don't feel like praying or don't feel like worshiping, and you do it anyhow, what are you doing? You're taking one more step on the mountain towards your anointing. And then they would take all four of these ingredients and they would put it into a vat. And what they would pour in to begin to mix these four ingredients was the olive oil. And if you know anything about Scripture, oil is in reference or a type of the Spirit. He takes his Holy Ghost he pours it into the vat and his dear precious spirit begins to take the myrrh, that brokenness, that heartache, that suffering, that pain, and he begins to blend it with the oil. <laughs> and it gets blent up in the spirit. And then you add to it that sweet fragrance of the cinnamon. And all of a sudden it becomes stronger. And then you put in the calamus and you put in the cassia. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit takes all of the junk of your life and turns it into an anointing. Jesus, let that anointing fall right now. Saturate God. Saturate God. Saturate God. Saturate God. Oh, my word. Psalm 92.10 says this, I am freshly anointed. Freshly anointed. God, give me another stirring. God, take that, net, that, that last thing that was in my life that caused me to walk through some mire and just pluck me out of it one more time. God, take that heart-rendering heartache and that breaking of my heart and my spirit and just begin to mold it and meld it into your spirit so that it can become my anointing because I need it fresh. I, I, I want to start to close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. She's going to pull up verse 16. But this passage is talking about Knowing Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. And in verse 16 it says this, For which cause we faint not, but through, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Ah! Day by day. 
Listen, I'm getting up at 52 years old and I've got a few more aches than I did when I was 30. My eyesight's going a little bit haywire. My, my hearing, according to my wife, is diminishing. That may be selective, I'm not sure. But somewhere in our existence, and no scientist can really tell us where it's at, but sometime after we're born and we start to grow, there's some point in the natural realm where our bodies start stop growing and they start deteriorating and they start returning back to the ashes that it was. But the Bible says that the inner man does not diminish. The Bible says that the inner man becomes renewed day by day. My friend, it doesn't matter how old you are, the anointing is as fresh today as it was the first time it hit you. The anointing of God is as new today as it was when Jesus walked the earth. The anointing is as powerful today as it was in the days of the apostles. Give me the anointing, God. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That stuff we're dealing with, it's going to be nothing. Especially when you compare it to what God is going to do. But here's the thing about that. I told you my eyes were going, I can't see anything with them on. I can't see anything with them off. Here's the thing about it. We that have been born again or born from above, we have already entered our eternal life. We have not entered our immortal or our incorruptible life, but we have entered into our eternal life. We are brand new creatures in Christ. We are alive. I'll tell you what that tells me. That tells me that by faith, I can see things that he's already got and applying to my life now that I don't have to wait for the trumpet to sound to embrace. How do I know that? Because the next scripture says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I've got to tell you something, my friend. I look at some of you, and all my eyes can see is the natural change, but my spirit sees a greater change than that. That which cannot be seen is not temporal, but it is eternal and there are some things that have happened in us that we cannot see in the natural but if we will open the eyes of faith we will begin to see those eternal things that are trying to take place in our lives but we get so consumed with what we can naturally see that we fail to understand that God is already working on our eternal being and he's wanting to Bless us with it. Mm. What does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. The Bible says there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. There will be no more heartache. Can I tell you there will be no more darkness? 
Listen, I know that we are living in the natural. I said we haven't become immortal or incorruptible yet. But can I tell you, in the midst of your greatest sorrow is the greatest anointing because there is no sorrow in heaven. Can I tell you in the midst of your greatest pain on earth is your greatest anointing because there is no pain in glory. Can I tell you amongst your greatest heartache on this earth is not as a temporal thing, but on the inside, God is giving you a fresh anointing so that you have an experience of what glory is going to be because the anointing power of God is wanting to flood your soul. Anointing. 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 Here's my question to you today. Do you want to be annoying or anointed? What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. I believe it annoys God when we don't receive what he wants to give us. I know that because it gets annoying when people that we give things to, they either don't receive it or they take it for granted or they take it and, oh, come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. Those, those wedding gifts that have never been opened, that your brother-in-law now possesses because you re-gifted it? Yeah, see, some of you are laughing because you know you've done it. But we get that mentality in the spirit. And I think it gets annoying to God sometimes when he's saying, why don't you just receive what I want to give you? I want to hit you so hard with the anointing of God that you can't hardly see straight. Wow, God, that sounds good. But man, what are they going to think when your anointing hits me and I can't control what I do? So what? God, if you anoint me, it means I might have to change some things. So what? God, if you anoint me, there may be some expectations on me. Yep. But so what? I'd rather live under the expectation of the anointing of God than live under the expectation of myself. Because his expectations are way, way higher than mine. Because the Bible says his thoughts are above our thoughts, his ways are above our ways. We can't even fathom how high he wants to take us to soar like the Praise God. Would you stand in the presence of the Lord? Lord, I'm asking you to direct right now. Direct me right now.